0: Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Lord, we just want to come uh, this morning... Uh, to give you our hearts, Lord, that we would be open to your word, Lord, that you would plant it like a seed within us, that it would bloom and blossom, Lord, through the power of your spirit. Uh, so, Father, we just come uh, to study John 21 today. And, Father, I just pray that you would underline to each one of us those parts of John 21 that you want us to really apply specifically to our lives. So, Lord, uh, We're coming depending on you to be our guide and our leader, and we just thank you, Lord, for being in our midst, irregardless of where we are. We're in many different spots, uh, but we're one in you. So, Father, we thank you, and we pray, Jesus, in your strong name, amen. Amen. Okay, Uh, let me read John 21, and then we will look at it. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus therefore said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. They cast, therefore, And then they were not able to haul in all of it because of the great number of fish. That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out upon the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? And Jesus came and he took the bread and gave them and the fish likewise. This is the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by that kind of death, he would glorify God. When he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them, the one who had laid back on his breast at the supper, and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, therefore, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, What's that to you? You, follow me. This saying therefore went out among the brethren that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? This is the disciple who bears witness of these things and wrote these things and knew that his witness is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose, that even the world itself would not contain the books which were written. Okay, John 21. So as I'm looking at uh, John 21, I saw basically five points that I'd like to look at today with you. The first, number one, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Number two, Jesus knows the details of each of our lives on the screen. Number three, we need to know that Jesus loves us personally. And number four, that Jesus is willing to forgive and restore us when we sin and fall. And five, the importance of following Jesus. So uh, I'd recommend if you want to get the most out of this, get a piece of paper and a pen. I'm going to be giving you a lot of other verses that even go beyond 21 because I think they fit into the overall purpose that John's writing in this chapter. So first, number one, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Folks, that is so powerful. We just had that celebration. And you might say, well, why is the resurrection so important? It's this way. Jesus said very clearly to the disciples, he said, hey, basically, I'm going to be crucified, and on the cross, I'm going to take the sins of the world I'll be its savior, and I can set you free. And that's neat. That's very clear that Jesus said that. But we don't know for sure that he's the real deal if he doesn't raise from the dead. He could have said anything he wants if he didn't raise from the dead. Then there's always the question mark. is, Is it really clear? Did it happen? We're not sure. What if? All these ambiguities. So the resurrection really is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Without it, everything else falls. And what I like to see uh, the day with you is just a number of times, uh, at least six, seven distinct times, Jesus shows up and proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is risen from the dead. And if he's risen, then indeed his word that he's the savior of the world is indeed the truth. So I'm just going to give you some of these. the marks of where Jesus came from the dead. Uh, If you look at Mark, and I'm going to just look these up and give them to you and you can jot them down and check them out to make sure I'm telling you the truth. Uh, Mark 16. And if you look at verse nine, it says this now after Jesus had risen on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene out of whom he cast seven demons. Okay. So number one, he appears to her. Mary Magdalene, number two, in Luke 24, and in verse 13, it says, there's two men walking to the road to Emmaus. Behold, two of them were going the very day to the village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Okay, they're walking, and then as we go further, at the end of the walk, it says this, and it came about that when Jesus had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, and break it, he began giving it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. So he appears to Mary Magdalene, beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's raised from the dead. Number two, he appears to these two disciples on the way to Emmaus. Uh, then if you look at Luke 24, we see again of reference, uh, Luke 24, and looking at verse 36, it says this. And while they were telling these things, Jesus himself stood in their midst. This is the disciples. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. But Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, it's me. Touch me and see that a spirit does not have flesh and bones. So again, he clearly shows up to the disciples. That's number three, a group of people that he made himself very real to. One of the disciples was not there, Thomas. And we know over the years he's called doubting Thomas because he didn't believe the report of the other disciples. So Jesus shows up again. This is in John 20 and verse 26. After eight days, again, his disciples were by his side and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut. And he stood in their midst and he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it in my side and be not unbelieving but believing. So then he appears to Thomas, okay? So again, Mary Magdalene, two disciples to Emmaus, the disciples, now Thomas. And then here we are in John 21. Again, he appears again. It says here, 21.1. After these things, Jesus manifested himself. And manifest means he made himself visible. It's interesting. It seems like Jesus shows up and he takes off. And he shows up and he takes off. He's trying to drive home the fact that he is definitely alive. So here he is. And we're going to see as we go on a little bit later that he makes himself real to these group of disciples. Um, this is 21.2. Therefore, they were together, Simon Peter. Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other the disciples. So here's another group. Again, he literally shows up uh, and invites them to a breakfast of fish. And then uh, this one kind of tops it. It's in First Corinthians, chapter 15. So not only does Jesus do that, this is really uh, really. Very interesting scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and if you look at verse 3, Paul makes this statement, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. Boom, okay, that's the facts. And that he was buried, we got that. And here's the biggie, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and here it is, that he appeared to Cephas, so now he appears to Peter, okay, by himself, then to the 12, we looked at that, now get this, after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain alive until now, then he appeared to James, another specific time he shows up, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as it were, to one untimely born he appeared to me. If you remember Paul literally encounters Jesus on the Damascus Road. So over and over and over and over, Jesus showing up saying, hey, this is the real deal. It's not just once. It's not just twice. Many times, in fact, here, 500 people at one clip literally see him. And I just want to close this little section with what Paul said here in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 14. He says this, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is indeed vain. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. Paul is shouting loud and clear, the resurrection is indeed the cornerstone of our faith. It proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the son of God. It proves that when he said he died for your sin and mine, that he indeed did it. And it proves that there is a life after this in heaven with him. So that's number one. I think the Bible is clear. Jesus has been raised. We're not just doing some kind of a myth on Easter. We're celebrating a fact that has changed history and has changed your life and mine. Okay, that's number one. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Number two, (laughs) Jesus knows the details of each of our lives. Jesus knows the details of all of our lives. So if you're back to uh, John 21, the circle back. We get there. And Jesus is out there. And in the story, the disciples are out there. They're doing some fishing. They catch no fish. Bummer. But they say a man on the shore, and the man on the shore has something to say to him. And he says this in 21.6, cast your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. They cast therefore, and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. That's pretty cool. How, How does Jesus know, okay, Throw the net on that side, and you're going to get all these fish. Jesus somehow knows where fish are located. That's pretty cool. And by the way, that is not the first time that Jesus pulls this one off. If you look at Luke chapter 5, we have another incident in the Gospels where Jesus does the same thing, but this time it's with Peter. Uh, If you look at Luke chapter 5 and look at verses 3, 6 uh it says this he says um on verse 4 i'm going to pick it up when he had finished speaking he said to simon put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch because peter had not caught anything okay nothing (laughs) but listen to what peter says and simon peter answered him master we worked hard all night caught nothing but at your bidding i'll let down the nets and when they had done this they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So this is the second time Jesus says, hey, I know exactly where the fish are. If you throw the net in this specific place, I guarantee you, you're going to get a good haul of fish. But it gets even uh, neater. I, I like this next one. This is Matthew uh, chapter 17. So now not only that, Jesus knows about a specific fish. I love this a specific fish. If you look at Matthew chapter 17 and 24, uh, Jesus, it said, came to Capernaum, and they had to pay some kind of a tax, and he said to uh, the disciple Peter, hey, do we need to do it? And and Peter says, "I I don't know, and Jesus says, not really, but then this is it. Interesting. Verse 27, But lest we give them offense, go to the sea, throw in a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you'll find a slater. That's just a coin, okay? Take that and give it to them for you and me. So Jesus even knows a specific fish. I mean, talking about knowing some details. And let me just give you one more uh, detailed thing, and then I want to make a comment on it. This one is in Matthew 10. Matthew 10, if you look at Matthew 10 and verse 29, Jesus says this. Are not two sparrows sowed for a cent? And yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. He's saying there's not one bird in this entire world that dies, and he's not aware of. And then he goes uh, and says one other little thing. Uh, But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, does that mean that the Lord literally knows every hair? Now, some of us don't have a lot up here, so it's a little easier, but others, you've got a good head of hair. Uh, Does it mean literally that Jesus knows every single hair? I don't know whether that's literal or not, but the point he's trying to make there is Jesus knows every single detail of your life and mine this morning, every single detail. That gives me tremendous peace. That means he knows what's happening to us. It means there's no accidents that can occur in our lives. It means that God never says, "Oops, oh my word, that got by me. Uh Uh-uh. He knows every single thing that's happening. And if he knows everything that's happening, and if he's good and loving, which we know he is beyond a shadow of a doubt, so he knows everything, he's good and he's loving, that means that nothing can happen unless he permits it, and if he permits it, it's always for a greater good for you and me, always for a greater good, and that is illustrated amazingly in the book of Genesis in the life of Joseph. He's given a promise. Everything goes wrong. Everything is topsy-turvy. It's just a total mess. Everything goes south, and yet God turns all of that negative and makes him literally number two person in Egypt. So here's what I'm trying to say. I don't know what your folks are going through. You know what you're going through. You know the struggles, you know the pain, you know the heartache, you know the problem. I don't know what it is, but Jesus knows that detail in your life. And if Jesus is allowing that in your life, he has a purpose. And not only does he have a purpose, he has a good purpose by allowing that in your life. And he wants to bring good out of that situation you're in. So I think the important thing we need to ask at that point is number one, Lord, what are you trying to say to me in this situation? What, what's, the, what's the point of this trial, Lord? It's not an accident, you permitted it. So Lord, what are you up to? What good are you trying to do? Uh, and then as we do that, I believe we can begin to enter into uh, a verse that I find extremely challenging, but very comforting. It's James chapter one, two. It says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, what about you and me? How how do we encounter trials? Do we whine, complain, I mean, moan? It's very easy to flip into that mode like, "Ah, why is this happening? James says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So God's up to something good in your life and mine. And I would wager to say, every one of us is struggling with something. Something is going on that is unsettling. And what I'm trying to say from the scriptures here is that God has a good purpose in that something. He's trying to work something deeper in your life, in that situation, and he wants to bring good out of it. So we need to keep the faith, brothers and sisters, and to be able to give thanks that he's up to something good. Okay, we've looked at Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and it proves the reality of our trust in him as Savior. Number two, we've looked at Jesus knows every single detail of your life and mine. And then three, the importance of knowing Jesus' love, the importance of knowing Jesus' love. Very interesting to me that John the Apostle, who wrote this gospel, John is convinced that Jesus loves him, not just generalities, that he loves everybody on the planet. John knows that Jesus loves him personally. And there's a number of times that's the way John refers to himself look at John 21 and verse 7 the disciple therefore whom Jesus loved said to Peter so that's how Jesus uh, is responding and John said this is the way I see myself the disciple therefore whom Jesus loved if you look at John 19 and 26 it says this when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loves standing nearby. The second time, John 20, 20 and 20, verse two. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter, to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And then the third time, I'm sorry, that's the third, the fourth time, John 21, 20, it says, Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved Find them. Over and over and over, John says, that's my identity. That's who I am. I am the disciple who Jesus loved. The other disciples maybe didn't get it, but John got the message loud and clear that Jesus loved him. My experience as a pastor over the years is I believe a lot of Christians have the fact that Jesus loves them intellectually. Maybe they've heard it in a sermon, they've read it in the Bible. Yeah, okay, I get it. Jesus loves me. But it, it's just brain. It's up here, and it's, it's just up in their, their head. The Bible is very clear. The Lord not only wants us to know intellectually that he loves us, he wants us to literally experience and receive that love. And let me prove it to you. Uh, it is your heritage to experience the love of god ephesians chapter 3 paul prays a prayer for the church 314 listen to this prayer man if you want to meditate on something here's a good prayer to meditate on for this reason paul says i bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and earth declares his name that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, okay? If you're a saint, if you're a born-again Christian, you're a saint. And Paul is saying that you would be able to comprehend with all the saints, so that he's praying literally for all the saints back there in Bible days, but he's praying for each of us, They comprehend with all the saints, here it is, what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and here's the special word. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Paul is praying for the church then and for us, that we know the love of Christ that surpasses the brain. It's not just in the brain. It has to be in the heart as well. So I would say, to be a disciple who Jesus loved, we need to know, number one, it is our heritage, yours and mine. I think we need to say, Lord, I'm praying that you would reveal this to my heart and my spirit, because it's beyond my brain. Holy Spirit, open my spiritual eyes. I want to comprehend and know in the depths of my being that you love me. And then I think what I would do is begin to meditate on some scriptures about God's love. Think about John 3.16, God so loved the world, God so loved you and I, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You can meditate on Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I would get scriptures on God's love and I'd pray over them and say, Lord, make them reality in my life. Not just words on a page in a Bible somewhere, But Lord, take these words off the page and imprint them into the depths of my being. And then I would not only read them, I'd meditate upon them. I'd pray over them and say, Lord, make these reality to me. I then seek to develop an intimate walk with the Lord. How? Through Bible study, through prayer, through getting together with other Christians, and then having a conversation. I was talking to somebody just yesterday at lunch. And he said, it's so important for us to have a conversation with Jesus. And I think when we pray, we think, well, we have to pray a certain way and we use these words or that. Just talk to Jesus like you would talk to any other person that's in front of you. Just talk to him. Just talk to him. Lord, I have a question. I don't get this. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, would you help me with this? Literally, it's just like you're interacting with any other person. So I think developing that walk all through the day, inviting Jesus into every little aspect and corner of that day. And I believe as we do these things, as we meditate on the word, as we get deeper and deeper with him at the right time, God's gonna open up to us the reality of his love. And if there's anything that's gonna change you or me, it's that when we experience the love of God, not just in the brain, but in the heart. And when we know that we know that we're loved and we can say like, John, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved, things change radically in our walk. So I just want to end this little chunk here saying this, don't settle, don't settle, don't settle for just an intellectual understanding of God's love. Ask God, pursue God and say, God, I want an encounter with your love. I want to know that I know that you love me. Okay, as we're getting to wrap up number four, Jesus is willing to forgive us and restore us when we fall. This is important because we all sin. And over the years, uh, I believe people can carry a load of guilt and shame that weighs them down and just overcomes them. And it's just, it's not a happy walk. It's just they carry this this thing over their shoulder, this, this burden of guilt. And God wants us to be free of that. Uh, If you look at Matthew 26, you'll see uh, that Peter denies Jesus three times. Matthew 26, 69. Let me just read it for you. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a certain servant girl came to him and said to him, you too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, he denies him once. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus in Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it with an oath. I don't know him. Two times he denies Jesus. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you too are one of them. for The way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a cock crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, before a cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. So he denies Jesus very clearly three times. And Jesus says, you know what, Peter? I am going to forgive you and I'm going to restore you and I'm going to heal the memories of shame. And he does it in a unique way. If you go back to John 21, Jesus gives Peter an opportunity Three times to affirm that he loves him. He denies him three times, but but it's like Jesus sets the stage for him now to affirm that he loves him, to bring the healing. <clears throat> if you look at 21 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. Okay, number one time, affirm. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, tend my sheep. So Jesus literally brings healing and forgiveness to Peter by having him affirm verbally, again, his commitment and his love to him. So let me just say this in this section. The Lord is willing to forgive any sin, any sin, let me say it again, any sin that we've ever committed, no matter, I don't care how bad it is, it could be murder, it could be whatever, He's willing to forgive any sin. The only sin he will not be able to forgive is the one that you won't bring to him. The only sin he cannot forgive is the one you will not bring to him. So if we want to get rid of baggage today that we've carried shame and guilt, uh, I believe this is the way to do it. Specifically, tell Jesus what you did wrong. Not generally, but be straight up and be specific and say, Lord, I confess I did this. Fill in the blank. Secondly, not only confess the sin, be willing to repent and say, Lord, I am sorry I sinned and I don't want to sin that way again. I sincerely, Lord, want to go in a new direction. If there's no need to be making restitution, then do it. If you've hurt somebody, go to them and say, I'm sorry that I did this. Pay back something if you stole something, whatever. Make restitution. Some people will receive it praise the Lord. Some will not, but if you've made the effort, that's all you can do. You can't change somebody else's opinion. So confess the sin, repent of it, make restitution if possible, and then thank God that on the cross, he took your sin. He paid the price to get your slate white clean of any guilt and shame. Wipes it out like an eraser board, and he can literally wipe that out. And then hang on to this verse, 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a scripture that is the truth. And the Bible's clear. If we confess our sins and repent, God is willing to forgive us and cleanse us, like that eraser, to wipe out that sin. And just take it away. There no longer has to be guilt or shame for anybody on the screen on anything that's happened in the past, if we're willing to deal with it. And I've heard people say, well, I can't forgive myself. I can't. And then what I say to them is basically, then you're calling God a liar. Because if you don't receive this forgiveness, which he said I'm willing to give you in 1 John 1, 9, you're literally saying, God, you lie. And you don't want to do that. So God has dealt with any sin that he's given you. Uh, He's always willing to forgive. And last, the importance of following Jesus. If you look at John 21, 18, Jesus says this to Peter. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger and you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go now he said this signifying by what kind of death peter would glorify god and when he had spoken this he said to peter what follow me okay and then a second time peter turning around saw the disciple whom jesus loved following them the one who had also leaned back on his breast at the supper and said lord is this the one who betrays you peter therefore seeing him said to jesus lord what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. You follow me. And what I hear Jesus saying is, Peter, don't compare yourself. Don't compare yourself with John. Don't compare yourself with anybody else. It's none of your business what I'm doing in somebody else's life. Your job is to be faithful to me. So don't look at somebody else and say, well, gee, I don't have those gifts. Oh, I, I, I can't do this. No, the Lord is saying, keep your eyes steady on me. Don't worry about anybody else's walk. All you got to worry about is your own personal walk, Peter. That's it. And Peter, what I'm asking you to do, it's not complex. It's not complicated. All I ask you to do, Peter, is you follow me. You follow me. And that's not the first time he said that. It's interesting. Toward the end of Peter's life, he says this. In Mark 1.17, Peter and Andrew are on a boat. And right in the very beginning when he calls them, he said, Follow me and I'll make you become fishers and men. So their walk started with the words, Follow me. And Peter's walk as he went further. Jesus says the same thing, follow me. So in closing, what does it mean literally to follow Jesus? I think it means literally to put him and his will before our will. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Take up his cross means die to our self-will guide to my own agenda, always putting Jesus' will before my will. That's what it means to follow him. So bottom line, if we do to the best of our ability, the next thing he's leading us to do, we will be exactly where we need to be at the end of our life. We don't have to worry about a thousand steps down the road. All we have to do is take the next step that we believe Jesus is asking us to do. I don't know what the next step is for you, but take the next step. And then after that, do the next step you believe he wants you to do and take the next step and the next step and the next step, following him, keeping him as the leader and as the guide and we'll get to where we need to be. So Christianity brothers and sisters is not complex, not really, Jesus just makes it as simple, follow me. Follow me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for John 21. We thank you, Lord, as we celebrate the resurrection, literally the resurrection of you from the dead that proves you are indeed the Son of the living God. Thank you for this great Sunday that we were able to celebrate your resurrection, Lord. Amazing. Thank you, Lord, we know that you know the details of our lives. If you can find out a specific fish in the sea, and get it caught then you know the details so lord i don't know what's going on in all the lives here but you do and i pray lord that you make it real that you have a good plan for each of us even in the struggles and the hard times you're doing something good for us lord and lord i just pray for each of us that we would know your love lord not just intellectually but lord it would impact our lives and our spirits that we would know that we know that we are cherished and we're loved by you lord And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here on the screen that has a sin that they've been carrying for a long time, a guilt, a shame that's just weighed them down, Lord, I pray that they would have an assurance today beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're willing to take that guilt, that shame away because you died on the cross. And Lord, as we close, Lord, help us to follow you. Help us to die to our own agenda. Help us always to seek you and your will first. And we thank you, Lord, as we live that way, we will have truly an abundant and a full life. So, Lord, put your blessing upon my brothers and sisters. And may we be a blessing, Lord, to those that you bring across our path today. And Father, we pray it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.